Hi, you are listening to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week, we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube to see channels for both CHHA, 1610 AM, and Greg Fenton. Listen to podcasts of past radio shows at both SoundCloud.com and at iTunes Podcasts by searching under Mediation Station in the Arts section. Follow us at our Twitter account, which is at Fenton Mediation. Our topic tonight is called Mental Health, Culture, and Conflict, and our visitor is going to be Benaz Moyin. Welcome to the program, Benaz. Hello, Greg. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me in, in this informative program. Wow. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the two of us go back a number of years. Yes, we did. You yes. actually were here speaking a number of years ago on a different topic. Yeah. So, since that time, your life has gone through different changes, too. Where are you at professionally? What, give us some in understanding about your professional background. Yes, I think it was 10 years ago that I worked with you in um, uh, in organization that um, called Mediation Services of Downsview, right? Community Mediation Services of Downsview, and I used to be a coordinator for very a specific project for Iranian family who um, experienced tension in their uh, relationship. And since then, yeah, a lot of changes happen in my professional life. Now I am uh, working with Canadian Mental Health Association as Mental Health Case Manager. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been doing now? I've been doing now almost for one year. Before I work with... Um, Mostly, most uh, most of the t uh, my time was uh, working in shelter system with people who experience homelessness and violence um, as well. Yes, I I work with uh, different shelters: family shelter, men's shelter, and violence against women shelters. Yes, it included. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, how how do you see some of your lived experiences as contributing to how you do your work? That's a very good question. As an immigrant. Uh, you know, I I came to Canada in 2002, and uh, yeah, for for having a better life in in Canada, we had uh, I had a dream to have a better life, but I end up with uh, so much you know hardship life as an immigrant, um, and I became very um, close to become homeless in um, you know as an immigrant woman as a single uh, mother. Um, and I experience of uh, some sort of um, mental health like depression and anxiety but I decided to get out of it get best out of all those you know hardship life and I went to university got you know um, my degree in social work and I am a registered social worker and I, I wanted to uh, give back to community as a social worker and help people who are at risk of homelessness and experience mental health. When you talked about before you went to school to get your degree in social work, that you were experiencing a whole range of issues related to mental health and possible homelessness or the vulnerability of all those, what needed to happen for you in order to get you where you were at 
to make the conscious decision to see that you needed to get to a, a different and hopefully better place? Yeah, uh, that for many for many years I can tell that I was very confused that what I should do, what I should do with my life, what I should do uh, for my life and for my daughter, and uh, now I am in a uh, in in a foreign for me Canada now is like my home my uh, to a second country um, then I you know after being so confused after years I told myself Benaz you know you should do something about it I have choice to to make either I can stay home and be confused and not doing anything or I can do something good about it go to university get you know um, education from from Canadian University and build up my life in Canada I think it's you know it's a major thing that a realization within oneself to understand that yet try to figure out how am I going to do that or how is that going to happen because you might have the motivation to do it yes. yet you might struggle also what is the next step or how can I actually make this happen? Yeah, it was very uh, scary, you know, even for uh, <coughs> applying uh, for university and get into university and do, you know, exam, TOEFL, IELTS, things like this. For me, as a person whose uh, first language is not English, it was so uh, scary. Everything was uh, scary to Intimidating? me. Intimidating? Yes, exactly. And uh, But... I was so hopeful. I knew that if I if I try, if I try my best, if I um, try to be very perseverant about what I want to to achieve, mm -hmm. I will. And I I am I am very happy and content uh, where I am now. Well, I, I would think that once you made that conscious effort and took that step, that you saw even though the you know foreseen journey going through school, getting trained, and getting your degree yes. would be challenging in many ways, yet on the other side of that, the potentials of what you would come to realize and have po as possibilities would s be so much greater than. Is that fair to say? Yes, exactly. And uh, I want to share with uh, our audience that I came as a profession to uh, Canada. What was that? I, I used to be a midwife. And um, in, and I was graduated fr from the best university from Iran. And I, when I came to Canada, my credential was not recognized, so I couldn't ta I couldn't work as a midwife. And I, um, that's why that was to me um, one of the biggest bar barrier in my, you know, professional um, path. That's why I had to go to back to university. Uh, which I am happy with that. Uh, I'm, as I said, uh, I am very content of the um, decision that I made. Well, it w is it fair to say too that it, what you're doing is related to how you identify a lot of through your own lived experiences to help others who have migrated or exactly. For many times when I sit with women abuse women, when I sit with people with mental health, I tell them, you know what, I know that you are, you are being, you have been through a lot, but look at me, I disclose many information about mm -hmm. 
what I uh, what I had been through and how I could be able to overcome all those barriers and I see especially women uh, when they see me when they uh, listen to me they become very you know hopeful and say Benaz thank you for sharing uh, your story that's uh, th that means a lot to us and we we think that we can do it also yeah that that sort of transfers in some way a sense of hopeless hopefulness exactly opportunity yes. and gives them some sense that hey well if you can do it maybe I can do it too yes and I tell them that I was uh, one day I was sitting in your chair and I I, I talked with somebody else that said to me that Benaz you can do it you can overcome all those barriers if you want yeah so it's ideal that you're a first person role model yeah for those who are experiencing suffering many times through their circumstances of especially if they've migrated with qualifications and profession and then faced possibly the unexpected that you don't have Canadian experience and then that just deflates your hopes when you migrated and you look for this quote better life and you have to reframe yourself exactly so what type of circumstances are the people you work with experiencing? My in my current job, um, people uh, are experiencing homelessness uh, for many years. Is the chronically homelessness? They um, and me as a case manager, I try to assist them to get house, to find housing for them, and help them to maintain their housing. Um, and when, it, when we talk about homelessness, a lot of other factors come um, to play, like mental health, addiction, poverty, and so many other, you know, barriers that, yeah, that people experience that. And so when people are experiencing one of them, that's a challenge. When there are people who are experience a number or multiples of this all, all these variables as part of their life that would just be so much more yes profound yes exactly I would like to if if we have time I would like to share information yes of course uh, I think it's a very good information that our audience um, know about it uh, the Ontario non nonprofit housing network association reports that 168,000 people, Ontario families, seniors, single adults, and couples, were on waiting list for rent geared to income housing in 2014. According to this report, there is a lack of affordable housing and a, lo a long waiting list for available affordable housing. It means that, unfortunately, because of the cost of the housing, uh, what I am trying to tell uh, our audience is it's not about people who experience mental health or addiction. Anybody can be, you know, uh, at risk of become homelessness because of the cost of housing in Ontario, which is very uh, scary. And uh, um, so just imagine a, a person... Um, end up to having physical health issues or mental health issues and is not able to work and 
and that's it. And they can't generate an uh, income. Exactly. That's yeah. sufficient to pay yes. a, a uh, rent that uh, they can uh, afford, right? Exactly. So they put them, well, they don't put themselves, they end up being yes. in a place of greater vulnerability and at risk because of the combination of the lived experiences and circumstances that only makes worse in some way the fact that they're going to face even more barriers. And so then, how would they reach out to, how would you get involved with, uh, with any of these uh, individuals that, with whom become your clients? Yeah, um, you know, in I think it, it was in 2018 that there was a survey uh, that uh, happened in York region because I work in York region. Okay. And through that survey, so many people um, was uh, were involved with, with that, and they and they went to the shelters and um, and did that survey, and so and. Um, they created a list of people who have been experiencing homelessness for many years and based on that uh, survey and and um, collecting the of, the data. of that data uh, we uh, I mean the organization created this program the program called home now program and I, I'm, I'm really uh, willing to talk about uh, what is Home Now program, if you sure, don't mind. Sure, uh, please. Okay. Home Now program is based on Housing First program. Housing First program is a philosophy. It says that if you want to help people who are experiencing homelessness with so many other, you know, um, uh, complex needs, you need first uh, to get them housed. So they need some stability exactly. of knowing that where they can position themselves on a more stable basis. Exactly. Okay. First, the first thing that should be done for these people, for these folks that get them housed and then help them to maintain their housing. And when they are stable, so we can wrap them with other supports that they need. And it's very successful um, philosophy. It works a lot in many uh, countries. That's why Canada, Canada also apply this um, philosophy too. And Home Now is uh, the same as Housing First uh, program or philosophy. So the philosophy is uh, holistic in the sense that exactly. people are going through a circumstance with why wherever they're at, at the same time, they need a multiple of resources to help transition from where they're at to hopefully a better place. Yes. And as you know, having house, being house is a human right. Everyone should should live in a house, have a roof on above their protection their exactly. from the weather, the elements, safety. Yes. Right? Yes. But the reality is that that's not for everyone that ends up happening, especially including, uh, I'll say, in York region. So where would the people stay? They live in bush. Yeah, they live in bush. They, they are in a st on the street. Uh, unfortunately, they go shelter and another shelter. They have to. So how do you get connected with the people? Like, how do you get your clients? Yeah, after, uh, as I told you, the based on that data, and we have a list. So we have a list of people who have been experiencing homelessness, mm -hmm. and uh, I am assigned. I am by my supervisor 
15 clients for example now I have 15 clients and uh, and I was successful to house them uh, I think 14 14 of those 15 right. and I was I'm, I'm very proud of it um, and they're doing very well they're very doing very very well yet there's others who you haven't yeah for me encountered yeah. yet yeah for me for yeah. Yes, for me, uh, there's only one person yeah. that we have very struggle to find housing, and uh, for so many times, uh, you know, I feel very disappointed because this person, not this person, all of my clients, they experience a lot of discrimination. So, so what's the general perception of people who are experiencing mental health concerns, like the public? What? When they hear the word mental health, yeah, mental. As soon as they hear, because oh, my organization called um, the name of my organization is Canadian Mental Health Association, right? As soon as people hear mental health association, is a stigma attached to it, and they say, you know what, these people have mental health. We don't want them um, because we have to find housing within market rent. It's not, it's not as, um, affordable housing, it's not, it's not a special housing. It's, we have to find housing uh, from market rent. So, uh, and so many landlord, landlords have no good understanding about what mental health is. And they are, because the lack of information and knowledge, they just make a story, they don't know. And we have to explain to them that mental health means depression, anxiety, stress, and in I, I explained to them from uh, the survey or um, um, census that uh, one from five Canadians experience mental health, and mental health is not something, you know, very strange, but even, even though we explain, so many people reject our client, and they don't want to rent their place to, the, to them. Well, as you mentioned, it there's a people make a stigma right exactly and from that they make assumptions on what they would expect of a person if they were to provide a space or a place for them to live for the potential on their property and how that might affect the other people who live there the other tenants or residents and even their value of their property so they quickly come to so many assumptions uh, yeah. so many judgments so how do, how do you try to work through that in some way? Because, you know, individuals have ownership, I believe, of how they make decisions. So how do you try to educate even these landlords? Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's very hard. It's a very hard job. And so many, as I said before, me and my colleagues, every day we experience this uh, very you know, uh, disappointment, uh, and we are we become really disappointed for that. And this is the ongoing things that we have to do. It we have to talk with landlords and say, you know what? Yes, this person has uh, has sort of mental health, but we are here to support. You have us. You have organization that support you. And uh, um, you know, some people. They become more flexible when they uh, listen to us and they, uh, uh, they, they find out that there, there is support from the, our organization and the case manager and 
other professionals who come play, who support this individual. So they, they get a better sense that the, there's more to this person, there's more to the situation that they're not aware of. As long as somebody allows themselves to open their mind to yeah. hear something different from what they know and so that they can learn from and grow and develop. So when you work with your the individuals, your clients, I would think that you need to s make some kind of assessment with each one because just because doesn't mean everyone is experiencing the same thing to the same depth or degree. How do you, how do you organize each client? Yeah, this is true. Um, you know, so many of my clients, they experience trauma in their lives. And because of that trauma, uh, they end up to, you know, become homeless and also experience mental health. And as you said, yes, we have to do a lot of assessment. We have uh, different tool assessments in terms of um, assessing uh, their situation, what they do in terms of their mental health, physical health, legal issues if they have um, substance use if if they have that issues too and so many factors we assess and based on that and also uh, another factor which is so important uh, their um, their life skills we assess that what they the li life skills they have what they are lack of and we try to mentor and and, and help them as a as a coach, uh, yeah. as a life skills coach, yeah. and through the process, we l we teach them uh, some life skills in order to help them to maintain their housing. Just as a, a sense of some recognition of being able to be stable, and then also, is there something about employment skills as well? Because life skills are fundamental, that, or should be. Yet many of us don't are not necessarily equipped with everything. And then, you know, getting them into a stable place of residence, and then I would think to get them some kind of stable place of employment. Yeah, yeah. The, we uh, we offer a very, very great uh, program for for our folks, for our clients, that they come for eight sessions of uh, workshops. They learn how to uh, manage uh, their emotions when they go back to to workplace and how to... Um, you know, increase their communication skills, conflict resolution skills, how to cope with the stress, these, uh, you know, uh, this kind of uh, skills. skills that, yeah. You mentioned a few times about, well, obviously, working with individuals who are experiencing a profound range of concerns, life experiences, and then for you, how do you navigate with working with people going through, through such profound, how are you not affected? As I mentioned, um, I every day I am impacted by the way that society treats our clients, and that um, separation that I see from community members and our clients, it's it's really heartbroken. It's break my heart because I am really looking for people to be able to you know, relate to people and see people as people and see people as person and not label, not put label on them because mm -hmm. they are, they have, you know, issues with mental health. So this is one thing. Um, but I have to be very 
honest with you too that um, um, working sometimes working with people with uh, complex needs uh, can be very draining as mm-hmm. well and I need to uh, what I do is more doing more self-care is the biggest thing that I do for myself Wh- every what day. does that look like what does that mean self-care um, it comes first um, putting uh, boundaries you know I I put boundaries with between me and and clients because some of my clients they they experience a lot of stress anxiety and they become you know very emotional and they might say something or do something that uh, you know hurts that can be hurtful right so it for me it was so uh, necessary to learn to to learn to put that boundary and say to myself and us this is you you shouldn't take it personal it's not about me okay that that's uh, learning that that uh, took a lot of uh, actually years (laughs) yeah yes it's hard a lot of effort yeah a lot of effort and uh, so the most important things put that uh, uh, boundary and then uh, self-care you know I do a lot of yoga every day uh, and meditation uh, also listening to music go for walking talk with my you know my spouse and and seeing my friends I remember if I'm okay to recall that you uh, did um, connect with an Iranian philosopher what's his name Romy? Yeah. Yes. Yes, Steve. Yeah, I. Uh, this is part of my self-care to, to read the poems from right. Romy. Yeah. Yeah. And in the past, too, weren't you involved with some radio t- work with uh, somebody that we mutually know, too? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you got to find different ways to try to take the energy from the professional world and then find a way mm-hmm. so that you can compartmentalize it or organize or sort it or make sense of it in you so that it doesn't impact you to the depth of exactly. being in your personal life you know as of course of course as uh, as you know uh, in our you know organization we always talk about uh, compassion fatigue Bec- uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that term, com- compassion fatigue means that when you are yeah. burned out. Compassion fatigue, yeah, yes. Yeah, burned out. Vicarious so trauma. Exactly. So we don't want this happen. We want to keep that passion for our clients to make difference in their lives. Yeah, and the reality is too that sometimes you're, you're a human being, right? Yeah, sometimes happen. We are, yeah. no matter, we're not machines, we're not mechanical. Exactly. We can try and create the greatest capacity within to reframe a lot of the negative energy that comes through us or at us yeah. or to us yet we're not always 100% able to do so that's that's completely right. correct yeah. yes. i mean we we have to deal with our moments as best as we can yeah so you know your clients though are looking up to you as individuals that i work with they're looking up to us to be a model of difference from where they're at so that we can help support them and assist them to navigate to a, a better place. Hopefully. So h- how does the experience of migration contribute to the quality of people's experience in integrating in the society? Um, as I, you know, as I shared with you um, from my personal life, I 
I came to Canada in 2002 and uh, ended up with so many um, barriers and obstacles in my life and not me, my family as well and so many other immigrant families. Um, they come, you know, with, uh, with hope, with having a better life, but they don't. So just imagine people come to Canada and they experience um, lower social, uh, uh, social status, they experience uh, poverty, they experience, you know, they become very invisible, especially in first years. Mm-hmm. They they become very invisible and and just just imagine all all these factors how impact um, their mental health. It impacts men people's and so many people. I I think that they end up with kind of sort of mental health. It's so hard to manage all these years and what happened within family and things like that. Yeah, I don't know if I answer your question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a way or has the data provided um, insight into the percentage or proportion of the people that you work with who are migrant, you know, migrated from other countries or are here? Is there a way to distinguish that? Or? Yes. Uh, thank you very much for this question. Um, unfortunately, still there is a very big gap between services within community and with people from diverse community. I mean that a lot of programs, yes, exist for people, but not for people from other countries, from, you know, from... Who have unique and particular... Exactly. For example, there is is not enough program for people from, from different, you know, different cultures, different communities. Right. And for them, it's so hard to reach to the organization because of language barrier, because of difference, uh, cultural differences, and things like that. So in doing the work y- that you do, and making the conscious decision as you did to come into this world of the professional work you do, what do you see as your reason for doing so? Why have you made that conscious decision to be in this kind of work, rather than, quote, some other area? Why didn't you go into midwifery? Um, first of all, midwifery for me, is, it was so difficult <laughs> to do it, especially the expectation uh, from midwives in Canada. I, uh, I don't know if you know that uh, 70% of uh, giving birth has to be done at home. I was not trained. I was, uh, d- I was doing midwifery in hospital setting not at home. Okay. So I I didn't see myself to, to do it and um, I decided to... So what, what are you doing with you know people going through such traumatic and profound lived experiences and not finding another way? Because you, you migrated here, you had expectations, they weren't met the same way that you hoped, you made a conscious decision to do something because you knew where you were at was not where you were happy. Why didn't you make a decision to, instead of social work, to do some area of it? Okay. Yeah. So let me share this with, uh, with your audience, that before social work, before I got degree in social work, I got degree in anthropology from York University. And I saw, and I, I became more knowledgeable about the history of Canada, the, the society, and, and so many, you know, um, things that happened 
in Canada. Um, so I don't want to go that you know that depth in in in, in this program. So after after I finished anthropology from York University and and got knowledge about what happened in Canada in history. So I told myself, okay, now I want to make difference in people's lives, the people who are in a vulnerable situation, people who are being oppressed because of the capitalism, because of colonialism, because of so many, you know, these things. And, um, and so I chose to go to the path of social work. So I am the person, I think, that uh, I really seek for social justice. It's Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's me. I, I really want to, uh, you know, um, I, I seek for justice for any any person in the society. It's hard, but whatever I can do, I do. And where we came from together, from Conflict Mediation Services of Downsview, yes. I used the words of social change, yeah. fundamental, that trying to create opportunities within society that will address the uniqueness and individuality of people from diverse perspectives and that they have the greater opportunity to also be uh, uh, equally involved in society just as much as anybody else. Yeah, this is the hope that we have. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you know if the work that you're doing is effective or making a positive difference? How do you identify that? You know, when I see my clients that they are settled down, they, you know, they are stable in their housing, they, um, they are happy with their lives, and they start, they start dreaming again. That's, that means to me that I've done a good job. And I had, um, I had very great experience with one of my clients. He, he was, he's from First Nation communities. And for many years, he was uh, experiencing homelessness, and he was so doubtful about the program. But I was able to connect to him, and I was able to earn his trust. Yeah. And he um, he said, Benaz, you know what? I don't know why, but I I I'm, I don't have any problem with you, but I cannot trust anybody. I cannot trust the, this program. I said, but you know, try to trust me. I'm I'm trying to help you. So I was, I was lucky to find housing for him, mm-hmm. and now he's been housed for I think for five months, and he just told me, Benaz, with your help, with your support, now I can, I can dream again. I can dream again. And I said to him, I asked him, what you dream about? He said, I want to get education about uh, my, you know, First Nation a bit and go back to my community and help them and, uh, and support them in a way that you support me. So that, that's the benefit, I think, of having people who go through lived experiences such as your own yes. and then can be peers to others in a professional way to help them to get the opportunity to transition to a more stable and better place that will then provide greater opportunity for them to transition into their hopes and their dreams. Yeah. How do the stereotypes, I know we talked a little bit about this with the landlord stuff, and how do the stereotypes and judgments of others about people who are experiencing mental health or related concerns or challenges mm-hmm. cause even greater challenges for them? 
I mean, people are going through their own stuff, and then they face another layer of societal imposition of their attitudes onto them. How does that increase or affect the possibility of people when they're going through those things and the opportunity to move through them? You know, for my case, my experience, my folks, uh, they, yeah, they experience mental health. But another factor which is very, very, uh, has significant impact in their lives is poverty. As you know, poverty is the most important uh, structural factor. And uh, when people have mental health, they cannot work, as I told you, and they are receiving um, social welfare or they are on ODSP. Mm-hmm. So just because their source of income is from Ontario Works or social or welfare or ODSP, this is another you know, aspect of Bec- um, you know, experience stigma, experience too, right? discrimin- discrimination, yeah. and yeah, and a stigma. So the the means people going through these experiences, and then the means to help support them, are also, but you know, so one, uh, I'll say this clearly: people going through issues and concerns that have a stigma attached to them, then the means for them to get their assistance also has a mean uh, a stigma attached to it. It's also engulfed in stigma, which is about ignorance, Mm -hmm. not being aware of, not being informed of, or educated, and many times not having the intention to want to be informed or educated too. That's true. I mean, we try to here put out publicly information about uh, resources and opportunities that people may not be quite familiar with Mm -hmm. to get a sense of hoping that they'll get some idea that, hey, there's more to life than my my own little world. Mm-hmm. that there's other people who could be better assisted? Yes. Yeah. In terms of the relationships mm-hmm. that people have who you work with, you work directly with people. Mm-hmm. By extension, their relationships with their friends, family, how are those affected too? By um, mental health? Well, just by the people that you work with. Because you work with people going through homelessness, poverty, mental health, and then by extension, those people have maybe somebody in their life, family member? Is there tension in those relationships as well? Yes, the, that's a um, that's very good question. You know, we have families that uh, they, they work with us. You know, our clients, families, they work with us and we support our families because they've been through a lot and they need so many you know, information, they need the skills, how to deal with, you know, their loved one who experiencing mental health. In terms of conflict, mm-hmm. um, you know, what we, what I do, what me as the profession, I do with my, you know, clients when I think that conflict is, is coming, yeah. um, we learned to be, you know, to, to practice trauma-informed care. Trauma-informed care means that, as I said, um, many of our clients, they experience uh, trauma in their lives, and what they, you know, the, the way that they act or react is based on the experience of trauma, and we, we respond to all those, you know, reactions with care, with support 
you know, with understanding and without judging. So we, I mean that I stay connected to my client when I see that he or she is, you know, be is becoming angry. I stay connected, you know, heart by heart and and offer my support, offer my services, and in a, in a way that my client see in my eyes, in my, you know, body language that I am not judging him or her because of her or his behavior. So whenever I am, you know, successful to convey this message to my clients, they, the level of anger just come down and they become able to communicate with me in a better way. Okay. So what efforts need to happen from your point of view for people, especially those whose first language or cultural ex context is different from the broader community? when they're experiencing mental health or any of the traumas in order to have a better or safer life? From my own experience, uh, what I can say, people should, you know, talk about it. People should ask for help, even though for some cultures they, they might not be comfortable to, to share, to say that something is going on, you know, and they prefer to hide those feelings and the conditions that they've been through. Um, my suggestion to people is to, to talk about what they've been through, what, what they experience, and ask, ask for support. Um, even though, unfortunately, it's not always easy to get access to, to resources to sup and, and support. And, yeah, one is to get access to it. The other is the cultural context, because sometimes people feel how they've been raised is not something that we do. We don't go out mm -hmm. and try to get, quote, the help that we might be best needing. Mm -hmm. So that can be even a barrier to cultural context in some way. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, convey this message that um, culture is the, the, the main point to focus on in in this concept because I think that a lot of more other, other things that can, you know, play in that, um, I in that matter. I realize that. Though tonight we were bringing light to people who are invisible many times through various reasons to know that there's more to... There, there's people out there that we just don't know of and we need to be better informed about to reach out to help support them to be actively involved in some way in society overall you know for, from from my my experience i think there are um, a lot of gap between services and people and people from other you know culture from diverse culture right and there are there should be more funded programs for people uh, from diverse communities in order to outreach to reach the people yeah. So what do you want, because this is, we're closing out, what do you want people to take away from our conversation tonight? Care about people. When, when they see people with mental health, care about them and, and try to understand and, and just tell themselves that that might happen to them too. So it's not something separate. It's not something just for the other people. It can 
always it can it, it can you know happen to to us too so caring people and uh, try to you know collaborate and and whatever they can do tr uh, do it for changing their lives what do you most value about the work that you do though is there something that you've identified that sticks in your mind yes you know that the relationship between me and my clients the the connection from the humanity point of view that really is always stays with me and that you carry with you yeah mm-hmm so we got to close out thank you so much for having me in in your informative program I would like to because we talk about culture I would like to say that it's a Persian New Year, and that's why I want to. It's a Nowruz, Nowruz Mubarak to all people from diverse communities mm -hmm. who celebrate Nowruz. Thank you for reconnecting here. Thank you for having me. It's been tonight. a long time. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Benaz. You. You're listening to Mediation Station on CHHA 1610 AM.